Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of geek to me Radio. Today we are joined by creator Dre Ellis talking about his project from Prophecy Comics, Heavy as the Hand. We'll tell you about how you can support him in this endeavor. Later on in the show, we'll be talking with actor Max Casella from Doogie Howser, Boardwalk Empire, and The Sopranos about his new film, That Cold Dead Look in Your Eyes. All that and more, stand by. We're talking TV, comics and movies, and video games. And if you're driving around the greater St. Louis area tonight, hearing us on the big 550 KTRS celebrating 25 years of broadcasting here in St. Louis, thank you for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube or Twitch or Twitter or wherever you're watching this on the stream, hello to you. And of course, if you're hearing us after the fact in the podcast form on uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Streamer, wherever you're getting your podcast from, thank you very much for subscribing there. And again, if you are on the YouTube channel, if you would hit that subscribe button, we're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers to our YouTube channel by the end of the year. We appreciate that very much. My first guest has been on the show with us just about a month ago, I guess, because we're talking about a project. And I love social media because you get to find people who you normally might not find. It's just the, the magic of putting your work out there and having people notice. And I notice because he's local. He's right here in the greater St. Louis area. We were talking with Dre Ellis about his project from Prophecy Comics, and we're glad to have him back on the show. Dre, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing well. Thanks for coming back on. Uh, Heavy is the Hand, the comic book that we talked about last time. Uh, we talked about if you have, if you weren't listening last time, we were talking about the uh, the idea for the comic and the origin of the comic. So for people who might have missed the last time you were on, Dre, give people a little bit of the backstory about the story for Heavy is the Hand. Well, Heavy is the Hand, uh, it's a, a supernatural cosmic horror action thriller. And it's about a black woman who denies a deal with a powerful, uh, influential group, and her family's killed. She's left for dead. Um, somebody finds her, heals her, and um, she finds this family heirloom, uh, which is a cosmic sledgehammer and, uh, that was passed down, like, through her bloodline uh, from her great-great-great-grandmother. And that, that was a shaman warrior priestess of her tribe. And uh, sh- she's going to use that weapon um, to get vengeance that she desires so greatly. And I love the fact, like you mentioned, it like hits five or six different genres because you've got the cosmic elements, you've got the historical background of it, and it kind of hits with that family sense of things. So it, like you said, it hits on like four or five different levels, which I think is one of the things that intrigued me about the project so much in the beginning. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, when I uh, first started writing it, like, like I told you uh, last time, uh, it was going to be, be a... Uh, uh, film at first and like I was just writing it and it was just coming to me and like um, I don't follow like 
like you know how uh how it would be like oh you supposed to write a script like this I, I pretty much create my characters and like i just listen to them like they already been through this and i'm a therapist you know and um the, the story came out so well um it it started changing throughout the story like and that's why i had to make it like a, 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 a genre bending uh a genre bending script and it's kind of more fun i think that it's not just fitting into one box it's not a superhero something where she becomes a superhero and it's it's not just a history kind of thing it it does like you said it's genre bending so i think that's that's one of the reasons for me that it's got some appeal um obviously you decided to kind of translate it into a comic book form. What were some of the, was there any kind of a major challenge for you is like translating it from, okay, I want this to be a movie, but I'm going to have this be a comic book first. What was like the mind shift for you? Where did you kind of find yourself going? Did the story change at all? Or was it just translating it to a different medium for you? Yeah. Uh, it was just, uh, me just, uh, finding somebody that's, uh, like an excellent uh, comic book artist, I found him uh, like uh, right after uh, I had uh, like started the kick Kickstarter because I had started uh, with somebody else. But like when I started it, the reason is so high because I had like went to another artist and um, and somebody else, but like they gave me this uh, ridiculous price, right? And like I had to like. I had to back out because, like, my living situation wasn't that yet. yet. You, you, you feel what I'm saying? So uh, I found another artist, and we teamed up, and he helped me out. He drew some for me, and, um, and um, yeah, he he's the one that's translating that for me so it can be, be, become what it was. Uh, I don't know if they answered it, but uh, uh, when, when I found him, uh, he's from Africa and stuff, so like um, it's like a wonderful experience to get, just to uh, speak to him and everything. And for those of you who are watching on the live stream right now, Joey V has a picture of the uh, the heavy as the hand, the cover. You can kind of see the sledgehammer into the wall with the blood coming down. It's a very it's a very stoic image, and I think it's also kind of captures the essence of what you were talking about. So as as a creator in a creative space. What were some of the your influences that kind of led you? Like, was it uh, was it a movie, a director, an actor, or in the case, since it's becoming a comic book, was there a comic book artist or writer who kind of influenced you in the vein you've kind of taken this? Uh, well, the uh, the script really. I want to write the script. Main thing that was in my mind before I had the story. I was like, if I make this into a movie. Um, and somebody that's going to play her. The main person that inspired me was uh, uh, Lashana Lynch that plays on the new James Bond movie. Yeah. And uh, pretty much it's like the character, like how she looks is inspired by her. Like how she looks, though. Like as in her uh, posture and like um, short haircut and stuff. So, So like if I ever did make it into a movie, I would choose her, you, you know. Yeah, she's got between playing the new 007 and also a uh, kind of a uh, hardcore fighter pilot in Captain Marvel, too. Uh, I, I think no, knowing that that's who you had in mind and then kind of picturing your story, everything, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that'd be a great uh, a great casting choice. 
Yeah, yeah. And, um, no, when it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, next thing I know, like, and like I told you before, the main character that, the bet you see on the Kickstarter, uh, I named her after my great-great-great-grandmother, my real great-great-great-great-grandmother. And um, just trying to keep a legacy going in a way that, like, nobody else, like, I feel like do. So, like, um, yeah, yeah. And that just inspired me to to, to just uh, push forward with the story and just do, do something new. Because also uh, how Hollywood talk about uh, diversity and stuff at first. And, like, I really want to see stories around, like, uh, black women, black men centered around us. I don't want us to be like the uh, like the side quest. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's kind of, uh, you know, everyone's been talking, especially the it's come up with the Eternals, that people want to be able to see themselves in movies, in mediums, in comics, in in TV shows, and mm-hmm. that that's the the fact that you're you kind of doing this as a representation, almost an extension of your family, but also it's something I like it because the creators who are doing stuff like you're doing on Kickstarter, they're doing projects that come from the heart, and it's not out of a big budget kind of you know this is what the the corporate media is putting out so i think that's kind of a a, it resonates on that level and the fact that you're local too if you're if you're listening to this right now if you're hearing us on 550 or if you're streaming us or anything like that uh we'll put a link to the kickstarter but if you go to kickstarter.com and just look for heavy as the hand you can find more information on how you can help get uh dre fully funded here if possible and social media obviously has played a large part in because that's how you and i connected was on twitter uh but you social media handles on instagram and twitter has that been i guess uh, influential in helping you gain more traction with this have you found more people that you're connecting with and kind of expanding your net because of social media yes yes uh and and and, uh, excellent experience like um when i uh Started Prophecy Comics. It's like a real new company for, for me because, like, uh, like I do filmmaking and I make music too. But uh, I just wanted to just do something new and uh, do something out of the norm that uh, everybody would see it and be like, "Oh, why he doing that? He does this." Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was just a huge step, and everybody supports, and I just appreciate all the support from everybody that like really showing me love and um, really want to see it. Like I only had, um, I I got the story and that, and I'm like, like I said, uh, uh, saving money, trying to get more art made. And like people are really pushing hard for me. And like that, like that, like pumps me up. And like, it, it really like motivates me because <laughs> people want to see it like so bad. And, uh, yeah. I just appreciate that. Yeah, to kind of know because there you always hear you know there's you turn on the TV and there's all sorts of bad stuff in the news and everything like that. But this is kind of it kind of makes you feel a little bit good. This this is the good side of social media where you're you know you're a stranger to all these people, but there's people willing to back you and your dream and support you and kind of they they believe in what it is that you are creating. And it's interesting too because you talked about doing film and music and everything like that was. Is comic book the kind of the, I know it's it's an extension of being a screenplay and everything that you're wanting to make this into a movie, but is, is this uh, the comic book aspect kind of stretching new artistic muscles for you, or did it feel very natural to put this in comic form? I feel like kind of both because 
um, now I can take it to a level where um, if I don't have $20 million to make the movie I want, I'll just put that in comic book form first and then and then sell it out there for like five bucks or, or some so people can really see my vision of like, oh, this is how I really want my movie seen, you know, but it'll be in book form. So like I felt like um, it's helpful to me because it, 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 it also helps me uh, – um, helps me put it out there so the audience can see it like firsthand, like yeah. in their hands. Um, instead of me like just having it written down and like, oh, I can't wait to you guys to read this when they can read it and see it, you know. Yeah, and the comic book can almost be looked at kind of like a proof of concept for this because I know obviously we're we're living in an age now where stuff like The Boys and uh, Jupiter's Legacy and things like that went from being a comic book or a graphic novel to being now a streaming service uh, series or a movie and everything like that. So this actually might be the better way to go to help get it into screenplay and production too. Yeah. So with everything that's going on, what you mentioned music and movie making, has has that taken a back seat while you're focused on the Kickstarter and the comic book, or are you still doing the other avenues as well? Uh, well, I'm still writing scripts always, like no matter what. Uh, still, like I make beats and stuff. I still make beats because um, I'm going uh, uh, to make the score for a film for my films too. So yeah. like I, I, I gotta keep sharpening uh uh sharpening my iron, making sure it's uh it's uh getting ready for when it's time for me to oh uh, when I'm done with the movie now it's time to start on the score or you know. And so when you're when you're looking at you mentioned Lashana Lynch when you're when you're looking at movies when you go see movies or TVs are there are there any things that you see because obviously you're still kind of working on this are there things that you're seeing is like oh you know what I'm going to incorporate something of this or I'm going to make a new character kind of based on this is your story still evolving for Heavy as the Hand or is the story pretty much laid out and it's kind of set in stone at this point? Oh, this story right here is set in stone, but it's gonna. Uh... Like, it's going to have uh, two sequels already. Like, it's already in my mind, and I already got it written down, the uh, the, the, the little treatments and everything for, for it. So, uh, yeah, this first story is it, it's set in stone because it's, like I said, once people read it and uh, uh, read the comic book, when I do finish it and come out, and they'll get an idea like, okay, and when they start asking questions like, okay, well, what's this? Oh, well, all that's going to be explaining this and this and this. And I'm going to have a prequel book for it, too, because of the hammer goes through the bloodline of the family. So, yeah. Uh, and that's just, this is just one story of my comic book universe, though. So with the, with the prequel comic book, we're kind of giving the history of the hammer. Let's say this, you know, you totally get everything laid out and you are given a, you know, you, let's say greenlit for a trilogy of films. Would would the the prequel comic be kind of like intermittent flashbacks that are kind of interspersed through the trilogy? Or was that something that would just be something for the comic book realm itself? Well, uh yeah, lot like uh, some of it would be like in the second one and in the third one, but it it's mainly its own entity itself, the prequel, because like um the like I said the the hammer goes through uh, d- 
different people throughout the family bloodline of her uh, family. So, like, um, yeah, she she can also see some stuff, what happened. But, like, in this story, she's so focused on uh, revenge, like, it doesn't tap in that far with her because, like, she's still, she still, like, holding on to revenge. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And you mentioned you're, you know, you're writing these other scripts. What was it about this one that decided, hey, this is the one I'm going to do a Kickstarter for, make a comic book for? Was this your favorite of the ideas, or was this the most recent one you'd worked on and kind of felt the most natural to turn into a comic book? Kind of where did the idea for turning it into the comic book and thus the Kickstarter come from? Well, um, yeah, I used to look, look, look like I would look at Marvel and DC. And, like, I feel like uh, um, I want to make a comic book company and um, <laughs> and uh, just start making comics from the scripts that, um, that, that has high concepts. So, like, this one, I would say it's a high concept. I wrote it to try to film it myself, but as I, like I said, got deep, deep, deeper into it, um, it got better and better. So, as turned, um, it would probably cost a lot to make in a way because of like sometimes CGI and like certain things. And so I looked at it a lot, like when I finished the script, I was just like, all right, um, how am I going to get this made? <laughs> uh, and uh, some just hit me like, I don't know if it's divine intervention or it was just, it was just something that just hit me. And, uh, like I was just thinking about like DC comics and like milestone and like yeah. how they like, and I was like, well, why can't I just, why can I be milestone without DC, you know? Um, but, but they're different. Like everybody in my story aren't like superheroes, like for real, they're all like villains in a way. Cause they're all, they all have their own perspectives and we all think, we all think something is good until somebody else looks at it from their perspective. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like they're all anti-heroes in a way, but some of them are heroes, but it's more anti-heroes than anything. And like, um, I just wanted to feel genuine because everybody um, in my comic book multiverse, like literally is going to think like they have literally have their own perspectives. Like, you know. Right. Yeah. And that's the the anti-heroes are always more interesting anyway, because they're not your standard Superman always do the right thing kind of people. They're motivated by uh, their own, you know, passions, their own desires, their own family, their own history. So I think that's, again, another reason why I think it's it's an interesting story for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it took time to push that one out. Uh, I got other ones. Uh, yeah, but this one, this one I had to because it was just speaking to me and I can't be the only one enjoying it. <laughs> I, I, I need other people to, to enjoy this as much as I do. And we mentioned social media earlier. Uh, for people who are listening, if you just turned I'm sorry, turned. Let me try that again. If you just tuned <laughs> in, uh, we're talking with creator Dre Ellis from Prophecy Comics about his Kickstarter. If people want to find out more about you, about Prophecy Comics, uh, tell people social media handles where they can get in touch with you and find out more about your projects and your art. Uh, they can follow me on uh Twitter, if they have a t- 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 uh, t- Twitter, follow me at Prophecy Comics at P R O P H E C Y 
underscore comics, C-O-M-I-C-S. And on uh, Instagram, it's Prophecy Comics, one word, at Prophecy Comics, one, one word. And uh, my logo is a mushroom cloud. Perfect. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, and again, if you're listening, Dre's local in the St. Louis area here, and it'd be great to see him make his goal, get this comic book fully funded, and then turn it into a screenplay. And we could all say we knew Dre back when he was just starting out. Now he's a big film star and comic book creator and everything else. That'd be uh, that'd be a delight to see that happen. Yeah. Uh, and we have 56 hours left, like literally. So we're coming up on the on the this is this is the uh, this is the crunch time, folks. So again, if you're listening, Kickstarter.com. Just search out "Heavy as the Hand" or search out "Prophecy Comics." And of course, Dre does have links on his social media handles, as he mentioned: Twitter at Prophecy underscore Comics, and then on Instagram, Prophecy Comics, all one word. Dre Ellis, I appreciate your coming back on the show again. Uh, hopefully, this will take off for you. And if there's anything else we can do to help you out in the future, we'd certainly be glad to. But I appreciate your time this evening, and good luck to you. Man, thank you for inviting me again, and it was a pleasure always. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Be well. Thanks. All right. There he goes, Dre Ellis. And again, I love supporting local. Kickstarters are great because I love the indie creators anyway, but this is someone local here in St. Louis. Uh, So make sure you check out that Kickstarter. We're going to take our first commercial break. We're going to come right back talking with Max Casella. Please stand by. Hi, this is Dean Devlin, director of Bad Samaritan, and you are listening to geek to me Radio. Welcome back to geek to me Radio, live on the Big 550 KTRS every Sunday night. Hope you're enjoying your evening out there in the greater St. Louis area. Uh, right now, we're going to go to the phones. We have actor Max Casella. He's got a litany of projects, which I'm sure you've seen him in at least a dozen or so TV shows or movies that you may recognize him from. He's got a brand new film out called That Cold Dead Look in Your Eyes. Max, thanks very much for being on air tonight. Hey, James, thanks for having me. Of Appreciate course, it. Of course. Uh, so this this film, I it seems interesting from so many different standpoints because it's it's got the feel of a foreign film but it's got that that thriller aspect and it it's it takes on so many different levels talk a little bit about well let's let's start with talk a little about uh being cast in this film talk about the casting process for this oh well this is a a very good friend of mine owner to tell um who directed it and wrote it and directed it i've already done a, a, a bunch of movies with him and he had already been filming this one and he just said, hey, I wrote you a small part. Uh, you want to you want to do it? And of course, I said, uh, yeah, because, you know, he's my good friend and I trust him implicitly. I think he's a great artist. Uh, I've already done two other movies with him. The first one is when I met him. We did a film called Applesauce, which is a, a very dark comedy. It's a hysterical comedy. It's um, we made that a few years ago. And then I did. Another film with him called Scenes from an Empty Church about the pandemic that we did uh, at the height of the pandemic last summer um, with uh, Kevin Corrigan and Thomas J. Ryan about uh, two priests in an empty church because it's a lockdown from the pandemic and they're just miserable. And then this degenerate guy shows up, which is played by me. Uh, and so I'd already done these these films with owners, so... Um, I work with owner all the time. I think he's a great artist. 
And uh, when, he, when he told me he was doing a film all in French, he said, uh, can you speak French? I said, no. Uh, but, you know, maybe I can learn or I can try to do my lines in French. But then we figured that was not going to be plausible with the time scale that we had mm. to work with. So, yeah, so he, you know, so I just came in. I did a little job for owner. It was just it was one of those things. You work with your friend. You know what I'm saying? That's, it, it sounds like, uh, to make the analogy, because Christopher Nolan has his players that he uses. So you're kind of like owners, Leonardo DiCaprio. He's always going to bring you in for a good role. Maybe not, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio. Maybe, uh, maybe, uh, yeah. <laughs> it depends. It's not always the lead. You know what I mean? It's it's like I'm a Johnny on the spot. Whatever you need me to do, I'm there. But that's great. The the the, the role. Uh, it's it's great to have those interesting parts, though, too. That you're like, hey, we'd love to use you in this because obviously, as an actor, everyone always wants to be working anyway. But the fact that you have that trust and that relationship with someone like him who you're able to just be like, yeah, whatever you need, and you know he's going to put you in a role that perfectly suits your talent and ability. Yeah, I trust his uh, artistic vision implicitly. Um, owner's one of these people is whenever he asks me to do something, I just say yes, sight unseen, because I trust him. That's all. you know. And, and he happens to be a good friend of mine. So it's, it's, it's nice to work with your friends. It really is. Absolutely. And then he wrote and directed this piece, too. So that's kind of I, I love the idea of people who write the movie also being able to direct it, because I feel like it more perfectly fulfills that person's vision, like they're able to carry the product all the way through to the way they actually imagined it from putting pen to paper to actually realizing it on the final product on the screen. Yeah, I mean, it's a personal it's a it's the ideal thing. It's not a job. You know, it's a he's an artist. He's writing, he's directing, it's his vision, it's his story that he's telling. Uh, it's not like a Hollywood thing where, like, you're hired to write this, you know, you know, this new Marvel movie, whatever it is, or you're hired. To, this is more personal. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, uh, these guys who write and direct it, they're, it's purely their story. They're telling a story. They've written it. They're directing it. They, they're editing it. Um, it's much more of a... Um, personal artistic endeavor than say just a just a job you know what i mean in hollywood and a lot of these indie projects like this too it really has some meat on the bone for actors to take on parts it, it's it's uh they're well written and well crafted because they don't have like you mentioned the marvel movies they don't have just a budget to throw at it and say here we go because if you put a marvel sticker on something regardless of the movie it's going to put butts in seats where these movies yeah. like this one People gravitate to these because they are, it feels like you're truly witnessing a masterpiece, a craft that people have honed and it, it's coming out. It's you're getting to see something uh, unique. You know, it's, it's the guy, it's, you know, it's the guy's unique um, yeah. storytelling abilities. And um, I just recommend highly everybody, all his movies are available on Insta, um, Instagram, what am I saying, on uh, Amazon Prime. Check out Applesauce. Check out scenes from an empty church. And uh, definitely check out that cold, dead look in your eyes. This is a director who should be way more famous than he is. Um, it's just the times we're living in with streaming it being like just this overwhelming you know, ocean of content. Sure. And, it's, and, and a small film just. It just drops on Amazon somewhere, and then like it just gets lost. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't know what the answer is, but it's not a good time for outside of Hollywood personal, you know, films and stories. And uh, I mean, like in the '90s, 
you know, if this would have been at, 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 at like every great art house cinema across the country. You know what I'm saying? And it yeah. would have been given much more of a, I mean, in the 90s, you had like a guy like Harvey Weinstein, you know, despite all of his horrible, you know, rapes, uh, was he gave us Quentin Tarantino, you know, he gave us Steven Soderbergh. He gave us, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, um, a litany of great directors who are today big, big, big A-list star directors. You know what I mean? But they were given a, a platform for their, you know, David O. Russell. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just really hard now for um, independent cinema to get the attention it deserves, you know? Yeah, the only there's... exception I would say right now would be a guy like Sean Baker. He's really broken through as a great filmmaker. He was an independent filmmaker. Uh, his first, first film was like called Tangerine, about a bunch of uh, t- transgender uh, uh, women, and he shot it on his cell phone. And it was a great movie. And then he followed that up with The Florida Project, which is a great movie also. Um, so he's a bit more the exception to the rule, but generally it's really hard to um, to get attention to your film. Nowadays, yeah, like you, know you mentioned, it's just that the the din out there. You have to be heard above the din. It's just kind of hard, like you said, especially with Amazon Prime, with every TV network having its own streaming service. Uh, yeah, and, it's just there's, there's no comparison to, to like 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, there's no comparison. There's just an a tsunami of content. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you mentioned there's like, like how do you get your show? Uh, how do you get people to like look at it? You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they, how do you get it's, people to like? So many people Check competing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I implore people, please check out Owner Tukel. Um, he's a great filmmaker. And we'll put a link in the show notes uh, to his IMDb page if you're wanting to check out more of Owner's work, too. Uh, again, cold, yeah. dead look in your eyes. If you're listening to this right now, you probably can go in and find it on demand starting uh, November the 9th, which is coming up to here Tuesday. So you can probably That's go in correct. and see it. Probably has the poster up there on your streaming service. You can probably put it in That's your correct. queue so you don't forget to check it out check and watch it. Check out the trailer. Check out the trailer. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, the trailer is incredibly uh, intriguing. Like I said, it kind of it's yeah. got all these different elements. Like I said, it kind of hits you at first like a foreign film, but then you realize it's a thriller and then psychologically it's 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 the the trailer has so many different levels on that that I can't imagine that the uh the movie won't blow some minds. Oh, absolutely. It's uh it's set in New York City, but uh the most of the characters are French speaking. Mm-hmm. So, um like a lot of it takes place uh, in a French restaurant, um, and I'm, I play uh, the owner of the French restaurant, uh, who's not speaking French, but a lot of the main characters are, speak, are speaking French. And I don't know exactly why owner decided to make a film with French speakers in it, other than um, I think it was just one of those things that he could explain it better than I could. But his friend, uh, Franck, who is stars in the film, is, is uh, a French uh, Frenchman and, and he just was he just you know it was one of those things he decided to just just tell the story in French but it's not all in French it's set in New York City in the present day you know what I mean um, it's just super 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 uh, creepy a horror and uh, just I you know tell people to check it out man it's 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 really really great.
Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's got uh, an amazing cast, too. We've got uh, Nora Arnazender from Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Uh, you've got, yeah. obviously, yourself. But this it, it's obviously, it takes a good cast to tell a great story. And um, it, it it seems like that was definitely the case here. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He, he uh, you know, I mean, he always uses, like, really interesting people. Um, some of them I didn't know before this. Uh, but I've seen the film and everybody's brilliant in it. It's really great. And, and it's really trippy. It's really, really freaky. Um, it'll freak you out. It's, 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 uh, it's not like a classic horror film, but it's, it's terrifying at times. Yeah. I, I think just like from, from the bit I saw that I, I almost feel like if an Alfred Hitchcock film and an Edgar Wright film had a baby, it would kind of like come yeah. out something like this, but it's, it's such an intriguing project uh, like I said, if you're if you're listening right now, go ahead and mark it on your streaming service. That cold, dead look in your eyes. It'll come out this coming Tuesday, so you can check that out. If you're in the uh, post-Halloween blues and you want to put a little bit of that uh, suspense, that horror back in your life, this would be a great one to pop on when you're yeah. hanging out and uh, get ready yeah, to watch. Yeah, check movie. out the trailer. Check out the trailer. You will be hooked. You will want to watch the film. And I want to talk about, because obviously you've had so many different roles. Uh, you've been one of those actors who's constantly working, and you always have these great roles. Uh, when you think back to, you know, going all the way back to Doogie Howser, but then you've done in The Sopranos, you've done Boardwalk Empire, current, you know, Ray Donovan, even into the one of my favorite uh, series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you've done all these great projects. What's uh, What are some of your... Uh, I don't want to say your favorites because that's kind of just a give me your favorites projects. But what is what is the what, some of the roles that you found that you've taken on that have been more challenging for you and have kind of sharpened your teeth as an actor? Um, let's see now. That really challenged me as an actor. Um, she probably something I've done on the stage was much the most challenging. Um, certainly doing. Um, Samuel Beckett uh, was extraordinarily challenging. I did a production of uh, Samuel Beckett's Endgame with John Turturro and Elaine Stritch at uh, BAM, Brooklyn Academy of Music. Um, and that was really, really hard material. Uh, really hard material. And um, some of the Shakespeare I've done on stage was not not like super challenging, but um, took a little more, you know, the language is, is archaic, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's, so you gotta, and you gotta make it sound like it's coming right out of your, out of your brain and not like written 400 years ago. So that stuff, that stuff's complicated. You know what I'm saying? To really make that stuff come to life. Absolutely. And again, we're uh, talking. Nothing for... really I've done in front of the camera, unfortunately has been all that challenging. I mean, as much as I enjoy it immensely, um, I wouldn't say particularly challenging. I mean, maybe there was an accent I had to work on. I, I played uh, I played Jack Valenti in uh, Pablo Lorraine's uh, Jackie, about Jackie Kennedy, yeah. uh, the Natalie Portman movie. And I had to have a Texan accent. I mean, even that wasn't that challenging. It's just an accent. You have to learn it. You study it. You do it. But... I gotta say the the toughest material I've ever done is Samuel Beckett. It's really hard hard material, but it's great. It's really great, and some of it's hysterical. But 
it is very, very hard to to um, make it fly. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And again, if you're just now tuning in, we're talking with the uh, the actor from that cold, dead look in your eyes. We're talking with Max Casella. Do you mind holding with us while we take another quick commercial break? Sure, no problem. My pleasure. I appreciate that. We're talking with Max Casella for the rest of the hour. If you'd like to send us a text message, you can do for, so at 84126. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back. So please stand by. Hey guys, this is Raul Coley and I play Dr. Ravi Chakrabarty on the CW's iZombie and you're listening to geek to me Radio. We are back on the Big 550 KTRS. Want to make sure we tell you about our official movie sponsor, Marcus Theaters. MarcusTheaters.com is the website if you want to go there to check out what movies are playing in your area. Uh, Marcus Theaters and Movie Tavern. So if you go find the location closest to you, you can buy your tickets right there on the website. Check out movie reviews and more. A uh, lot of great movies out. My net. We just uh, saw Eternals last week, but there's the new James Bond movie is out. Uh, last Night in Soho was great. The French Dispatch from Wes Anderson's out. There's a movie to fit every taste. You can still see uh, the new Jamie Lee Curtis movie Halloween Kills. It's out in theaters right now. So there's a little something for everyone. You'll find the best way to see it is at a Marcus Theaters. Go to MarcusTheaters.com to get your tickets, and you can even download the Marcus Theaters app for your smartphone or your smart device. You can buy your tickets right there. You can also order your concessions online, so they're ready and waiting for you for a more contactless experience. And if you're celebrating something, maybe uh, the, you know, the holidays are approaching, you want to do a bit of an office thing that's kind of fun, you can rent a private cinema at a Marcus Theaters or Movie Tavern location, just go to the website to check out the rates in your area. Usually they start around $99. You pick your movie, you get up to 20 people, you can add concessions and things like that to make it more of a custom event for an office party or maybe a celebration or an anniversary or a birthday, something like that. But it's always a good time, and if you're going to see a movie, do it in the best possible surroundings. MarcusTheaters.com, again, is the website for the best movie-going experience in the galaxy. We're chatting with actor... Max Casella about that cold, dead look in your eyes and new movies out as of this coming Tuesday. We were talking right before we went to break, Max, about the uh, the stage stuff. And I know a lot of actors, you know, as, as big of a career as you've had in movie and TVs and voiceover work, all actors tend to kind of gravitate. They can never get that taste of doing the stage out of their system. Is that something you find, like, you? no matter what you're doing project-wise, be it Boardwalk Empire or whatever, you miss the stage, the live crowd? Yeah. I mean, I love doing uh, live theater. It's, um, it's where I started out. You know, I started out on the stage. And, uh, you know, I don't want to just make a career out of it by just doing um theater because it doesn't pay you know what right. i mean you can't make a living <laughs> but uh i mean sometimes you know i've been on broadway i was in the original company the lion king and i was i was making like five grand a week on that or something so that's that's sort of like uh, uh the exception to the rule but the kind of theater i do which would be like sort of off broadway you know you only get like 500 dollars a week or something crazy you can't live on that but um i do it because uh, it's fun. Um, it's com- nothing else like it. I mean, doing a piece from beginning to end, from 8 p.m. till the end of the show, with the you know you get you just get a, a kind of a camaraderie with your castmates. 
that you don't get in the films. You know, you could be in the same movie as someone and never even meet, you know, for one yeah. thing. Yeah, that's very you true. Um, but when you're on the stage together, uh, it's like, you know, you're kind of like you're going to, not to, I don't want to say going to war because it's not like, you know, a negative thing. But I mean, you're like in it together, you know, you're delivering a, uh, an experience to the audience in real time. And there's just nothing like acting in front of a live audience. I just, it's like, there's nothing like it. I can't explain it. Uh, I just love it. I would always want to do a play. I'd like to do a play maybe every year, every other year. But, you know, I'd like to primarily do films and TV, mm-hmm. uh, which I also love. I just love, I love my job. Yeah. Uh, I love being, I love working with cameras and crews and stuff like that. And, uh, and I love being on the stage too. You know, it's like, uh, uh, I, 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 I wouldn't want to, you know, not, not do a play every once in a while. I will say that. And one of our yeah. listeners, uh, one of our listeners, Leanna Kopchak mentioned that she loves you as racetrack in Newsies. Yeah. Newsies. That was the first movie I ever did. Uh, that was like 1991. I was also, I was on Doogie Howser at the same time, so I was sort of jumping back and forth. In the daytime, I was doing Doogie, and then I would something, and then I would night, I would go shoot some uh, scenes for Newsies. Um, yeah, it was the first movie I ever did. When you were working on something like Doogie Howser, was there ever a fear? Because I know this happens with a lot of actors, especially in TV shows, where they'll end up getting typecast. You didn't seem to have that problem because you've done a variety of different roles across a variety of different genres and projects. Was there ever, when you were doing it back then, do you have remember having any fear of being typecast? Yeah, I had the fear of it. Um, and I might have been typecast. Uh, I was also, I was playing a, a teenager, so I wasn't quite fully grown up. Mm-hmm. But um, I was actually 21 when I started doing Doogie Howser, so I wasn't even uh, a child, right? You know, but I looked—I looked like one for all intents and purposes. <laughs> I was a child actor, although I was not at, <laughs> right. at all. Um, and then I had to uh, sort of reinvent myself as a, as an adult actor. And uh, there was a period of time there where it was really rough, and um, you know, I couldn't get any work. Because uh, people just would, you know, they would think of me as uh, Vinny Del Pino off of Google House. And then I started growing up and then they, they, it was like, I was like, you know, you changed the, you changed the product. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not like that kid off of Doogie Hauser. Now you're a grown man and you almost had to start over. Uh, that's why a lot of kid actors don't really have careers as adults. I mean, there's obvious exceptions like Jodie Foster, but Generally, they don't, you know, a kid actor stays a kid actor, then they grow up and do something else. Yeah. Do you, as an actor, obviously part of the business is rejection and getting turned down for parts. And, you know, there's that heartbreak in it too. What, what is the best way that you found your career? How do you deal with rejection? What's the best way? Like if there are actors out right there, out there right now who might be listening, struggling with, oh, I'm not sure if this is the right job for me. It's something I don't know if I can do it. How do you, how do you personally deal with it? And what's kind of the best advice you may have gotten about dealing with rejection throughout your career? Oh, I always say that, Rejection and failure are the norms, and uh, you're just constantly trying to move the needle 
a little bit towards success, but it always defaults back towards rejection and failure. And you just got to like accept that, you know, it's not personal. Um, rejection is, is the norm. It's where it all begins. It all begins and ends with rejection and failure. Um, you just got to like have such a strong belief in yourself. Like I, I just, I, you know, it's tough. Sometimes it's tough and you feel like it gets under your skin. You go like, God, you know, I can't get anybody to like believe in my talent, you know, seems like, but I mean, I've been doing this for 40 years. I got like a million credits. I've been acting. I've been in a ton of stuff, uh, but it's rejection is, is like right, right next to me at all times. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's right next to me. Rejection and failure is, is, is a part of uh, being an artist. You don't do your art because, you know, you're going to become rich or you you do your art because you're an artist and you're compelled to to express yourself in a certain way. So that's that's my thing. Um, if you don't love it, get, you'll, you'll quickly get out of it because it's not going to give you a hell of a lot outside of your love of the work itself. Most actors will, will just act for free because they love it. I also yeah. say <laughs> I think it was a joke. It's like I. I act for they pay me to wait around. I act for free. <laughs> That's good. I like that. I've not I've not heard, not heard it put like that before. But yeah, it's always hurry up and wait. But yeah, if you, if you enjoy it, like you said, and plus you get to work with people who you know and respect, like uh, Oda yeah. Turkel in that cold dead look in your eyes, which makes it I'm sure seem less like work. Exactly. I mean, uh, um, actors like any other kind of artist is a uh, we all just live to perform and to be, it's just, it's an art form. It's just an art form. And if you're an artist, you're just compelled to, to perform or to do your art of whether it's writing or painting or whatever, you know, be damned of uh, the rejection and you don't, you know, who cares? Yeah. It's hard. You, you, you want a job and you didn't get it. Ah, it's disappointing. Sometimes it, sometimes you don't care. You didn't get a part. Sometimes, ah, I really wanted that. Um, that's just, that's just a part of it. It's not like any other job, you know. You got to really be kind of kind of nuts. You got to be a little bit nuts, you know. <laughs> you got to be just. Uh, you got to just love to act. That's all there is to it, because it's. You know, don't. It's not like another job where you know you get you go to college, you get a degree, you get a you get like a, okay, you're going to be a lawyer now. Or you're going to be a doctor now. You did the prescribed education. You know, you went to medical school. Now you're a doctor. You know what I mean? <laughs> and now you have a practice. And there's nothing like that. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing like that. Um, and I, as an actor, you're constantly having to prove that you know how to do it. Yeah. Which is, is bananas. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been doing it 40 years. And I'm constantly going, no, no, I, I can do this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, no, I don't know. Like, you prove it to me. Uh, I don't know if I want you to play this part. Let me see. Let me see you tap dance. You know what I'm saying? It's like it never ends. Yeah. Can Can you, you know? speak French? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is, you're constantly being asked to do something crazy. Like, okay, you got an audition, but you got to speak a little Mandarin. I hope that's okay. What? Uh huh. What? You know, <laughs> that's just the way it is. It's, it's crazy. It's nuts. I always, I always think of uh, when I think of actors talking about stuff. I always think of Joey from Friends, who had all those weird things on his resume, like he couldn't really speak French, but he had it on the resume that he can do that. 
that's the old classic thing. Yeah, yeah, juggling. You know what I mean? It's right. like, I can't, you know, a horseback riding. I'm like, yeah, sure, I can do that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Cross-country no skiing? Problem. Absolutely. <laughs> Whatever you need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and we've just got a few yeah, sure. minutes left. Uh, I wanted to ask you, too, about voice work, because you've talked about stage, you've talked about TV and, and movies and everything like that. Voice work with stuff like Courage the Cowardly Dog, which I love that cartoon dearly. And then, obviously, famously for Daxter in Jack and Daxter in uh, different video games. Do you, is voiceover work something that uh, you've kind of dipped your toe in, but it's not really something you enjoy and love? Or is it one of those things where if the project comes along, you'll definitely be in? Oh, you know what? I had it going really good for a while with the voiceover work. I was making a ton of dough, and then it dried up. I don't know why. I did, mm-hmm. I did all these Jack and Daxter games. I did a bunch of uh, Chips Ahoy commercials and I was doing really great guns with that stuff, and then it just stopped. I don't know why. Hmm. I don't know why. It just stopped. I don't know. Um, uh, it's easy money. It's fun. Uh, I would love that. It would be like, yeah, I would love to do more of the voiceover work, but I don't know why. It just it just dried up for some hmm. reason. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, from what we've had to actual voice actors on the show who like that's their full time profession, and even they say it's a grind. You go always auditioning, and they'll have to have all these projects knocked out and everything like that. Yeah. So it's uh, it's sure. like you said, there's there's a uh, you have to be a little bit crazy, I guess, for no matter what aspect of the business you choose. <laughs> yeah, I never loved it. You know what I mean? Like I never really valued it that much. It was just like, but the money could be really really great, and it's so convenient because you can do it kind of anywhere. Yeah. And uh, I did a bunch of video games. I did, again, like you said, the Jack and Daxter games. Uh, God, I just did so much of it. And then I just stopped. I don't know why. Hmm. But I don't really pursue it. You know what I mean? It's not something that really interests me. I mean, I'm, uh, I don't pursue it. It just stopped. It, went, it, went, it came my way, and then it went another way. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Well, it's not like you're lacking for projects. There's always uh, something going on. It no, seems like yeah. you've got a lot going. And again, want to remind people who are listening that cold, dead look in your eyes on demand this coming Tuesday, November the 9th. Uh, let people know where they can find you if they want to keep up with you on social media handles, websites, things like that. Yeah, my social media, I'm on uh, Instagram. It's max, M-A-X dot Casella, C-A-S-E-L-L-A. Um, and then you can see the I posted the trailer to that cold dead look in your eyes, uh, as well as every all the other jobs I've been doing and all the other shows I got coming out. You can check it all out on uh, my Instagram, Max dot Casella, um, M-A-X dot C-A-S-E-L-L-A. There you go. Perfect. Uh, Max Casella, it's been an absolute delight for me to talk to you. I love the, the, so many roles you played, and it's my absolute privilege Thank to have you. you on the show tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it, James. I really appreciate talking to you. You too. Be well. Thank you. Take care, my man. You Take too. Care. There he Bye-bye. goes, Max Casella. Make sure you check out that cold, dead look in your eyes. We're going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, it's uh, We want to make sure we mention our premier sponsor right now, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. You know them from the website, which is, of course, discoverstcharles.com. And they are the premier sponsor. This show would not be on the air without them. They were the first people I approached to uh, back the show. They were the first people to say yes, and they've been with me since the beginning, back in 2016. Hard to believe we had the show on the air that long. Uh, but it, it's a great time. If you just missed Legends and Lanterns, they put on a heck of a Halloween bash, and they're going to do it again 
for Christmas. That's right. Christmas Traditions is right around the corner. It'll start on the day after Thanksgiving and go through, I believe, the day after Christmas with the big Santa send-off that they do. But you can get out there and interact with different Santa Clauses from around the world. There'll be different gift givers. They're doing a special Dickensian Christmas on Wednesday night. You can check that out as well. That is going to be a great time if you want to get out with the family and do something like that. Never a bad time to visit St. Charles, of course. If you're from in the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area, just go right across the bridge, spend some time down on Main Street, get some great food, check out some good shopping. If you're from out of town, check out the website for places to stay. Once again, discover stcharles.com, as we always say, for a historically good time. Until next week, my friends. Hey kids, are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from Amazon? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Well, don't be selfish. Share some of that money with us. Before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say referral geek to me radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.